Back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is being called by God in this first chapter. Uh, He's about 20 years old at the time. And I want to read you just two quick verses uh, as God calls this man into the office of prophet. Beginning in verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And then in chapter 2, one verse, and, and I must tell you that this is one of the pivotal verses of the entire book. The themes in verse 13 of chapter 2 are repeated over and over again throughout the book. Um, chapter 2, verse 13, reads like this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. You know, guys, rarely, if ever, do I ask you to uh, go listen to one of my sermons online. Uh, I'm not sure they're worth listening uh, live, much less online. But um, in this instance, I am encouraging you to listen to the uh, first sermon, which was last week, uh, because I think you'll be advantaged if you can have both of them put together. Um, uh, my text last week was <laughs> Ephesians 4, verse 20 and 21, and then, of course, my, my text this morning is out of Jeremiah. They're not exactly what you'd call famous texts on marriage, so uh, what I'm saying is that the whole thing might be a little bit foggy to you, and it would be helpful if you could, um, if you could hear what was said last week, and I think this morning would, would make a whole lot more sense if you did. So uh, don't do that often, but I think in this instance it would be to your advantage just to, um, to, be, to catch up. <clears throat> um, I can't tell you how eager I have been this past week to get get back into the pulpit uh, this morning. Um, but I'm, I'm eager not because I want to change anything or, um, or even apologize. Um, I'm eager to plant. You'll notice in the text, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, um, Jeremiah is called and he's given a ministry which... Um, <clears throat> which <laughs> doesn't sound all that appealing when God says, this is what you're going to be doing, Jeremiah. You're going to be rooting out and pulling down, destroying and throwing down. And then he says, he adds, to build and to plant. Do you notice the sequence there, guys? Um, To plant, there are certain things that you've got to do before you plant. And uh, what you got to do is you got to root out and pull down and destroy and throw down. You got to you got to pluck up some things that ought not be there. Th- that's what we started last week. And um, 
You see, when you're, when you're plucking stuff up, um, if you can think of a weed, you're, you're removing things that ought not be there so that life can flourish. So you have to start with the plucking up so that you can then move on to, to the planting. I, certainly, I, I, I take no pleasure in, and I bet you Jeremiah didn't either, in uh, pulling up and plucking up and uh, casting down. But I do take great pleasure in planting. And today and, um, and into next week, what we're going to do more of is, um, is planting. Um, maybe, maybe I should say it like this. Uh, at least the planting is going to get underway today. Uh, we're going to start... We're going to stop the, the plucking up, and we're going to start some planting. And that's, that's the thing that has excited me to get back here and, and talk some more about this subject. You know, guys, I, I, I suppose that I should start like this. Well, now, Dr. Young, you, uh, you, really, sounded, uh, you really sounded angry last week. I hope I didn't. But if I did, guilty as charged. I am angry. I'm angry every time I hear a story about something that was once beautiful being destroyed, being ruined. Um, Something that started so good um, and now is so bad. That makes me angry. Tell me, Mom and Dad, um, if you watch your kids ruin their lives with drugs, does that not make you angry? Why is that? Why why does that make you angry? Well, you know, because I, I, I love my kids. Exactly. Um... You got to understand, guys, that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And if you can tell me that you could watch your kids ruin their lives on drugs and you not get angry, then I would tell you you don't love your kids. You might love yourself, but you don't love your kids. Because the opposite of love is indifference. You know, I've said this to you on a couple of, I've said it several times actually, but um, um, you show me a man who can find his wife in the arms of another man and not get angry, and I will show you a man who does not love his wife. But brothers, if you do find your wife in the arms of another man and you get angry, why are you angry? Are you angry because you hate her or because you love her? Guys, I'm not trying to rationalize sinful anger. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to describe and explain what I hope is, is the righteous brand. So I hope that will at least um, um, quiet some of the concerns that you may have had. <clears throat> so, on to the planting. Or, or uh, maybe we're, let's, let's, let's move on to the preparing to plant. What do you, what do you say? 
Um, I, I would suggest to you that the solutions are few. There's a lot of books, but the solutions are few. Uh, books, counseling, that, that's all good, but um, none of it is going to help until, until certain changes are made. And primarily, those changes are going to have to be between us and our God. The, 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 the changes needed are changes vertically, which, which lead to horizontal changes. Um, but the books and the, and the counselors cannot help until some of those changes are made. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, um, if that's so, if the, if the changes need to be made before God, let's, let's talk about those. Let's, let's talk first about, let's talk about Christians. If, if, um, if you're a Christian and your marriage is uh, somewhat unenjoyable, the planting would start with, um, oh my gosh, what have we done? What have I done? I used to love him. I said so. I said so 12 years ago or 23 years ago. I used to love her. What have we done? I think I told you the story years ago um, about, uh, it, this was a Steve Brown story. Steve Brown tells a story about a young woman who came into his office and she was just crying her eyes out. And she sat down and she reached into her purse and, and pulled out a photograph. And she gave Steve Brown the photograph as she continued to cry. And um, Steve didn't know exactly what he was looking at. And, and so it, as soon as she could gather herself, um, Steve was looking at this picture of a four or five year old girl who's cute and ponytails and laughing and just a cute little thing. And when she stopped crying, she said to Steve, that's me. And look at what I've done to her. I'd like to take that story and kind of rework it just a little bit. Um, go to your, go to your wedding photo albums. We all have one. We all paid good money for those, those photo albums and glad we did. Uh, and we enjoy looking back at those, those photo albums of our wedding. Take a picture out of those photo albums and take a look at it. Now, what have you done to them? Is it good? Great. Bless God. But if it's not, what have I done to them? What have we done to them? That's where you got to start. Guys, um, you know what that's called? That's called repentance. In essence, what you're acknowledging is that Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 describes me. Look at it. Look at, look at, look at Jeremiah 2.13 again. Um, notice that 2.13 is addressed to whom? It's addressed to my people. And it says that they have committed two evils. The first thing that they did is that they forsook me. And then, having forsaken me, they, they dug for themselves cisterns, a, 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 a water-gathering device. It's a cistern, God says. 
that, that holds no water. That's what we did. And so first, <clears throat> I say, I, I, I think, oh my gosh, what have we done? I take a look at this. And then I say the next thing we've got to do is that we've got to start pulling down and plucking up those foreign gods. And you say, no, wait, 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 wait just a minute there, Dr. Young. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, this time you've gone too far. I mean, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm no idol worshiper and, and I don't see anything about foreign gods in this verse. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's there. My friend, I, I'm not accusing you of, um, of owning and worshiping wooden figurines in your basement. What I'm saying is what Augustine said. Augustine said that our greatest sin is what he called inordinate loves. Things that we love too much such that they become God substitutes. They become substitute deities. Um, in the language of Jeremiah 2, I've got cisterns. After I forsook God, the fountain of living waters, I, I started digging my own cistern. I started coming up with my own devices as to how to slake my thirst. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a violation of the first commandment. That thou shalt have no other gods before me. I could, um, I could spend a lot of time. I'm going to spend a little, but you know, I could list dozens of the things that have become substitute deities for us. But I, I'm only going to mention four. And you know what I'm going to mention first. Our kids. I'm telling you, my brother and sister in Christ, our kids have got to be put back in their place. Um... They're important, yes, but they are not ultimate. We will throw just about anything under the bus, including God, so that our kids will like us. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called idolatry. It's a violation of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. <clears throat> Guys, um, I am a fan of youth sports. We just told you about a program here at Grace Van about youth sports. My college tuition, all of it, books, room, board, tuition, it was all paid um, by an SEC school because I was an athlete. I love youth sports. So, so get into it. Uh, play, enjoy, cheer, and invest. But guys, not at the expense of my soul. Gang, <clears throat> when we relegate the maintenance of our souls beneath the pursuit of our kids' enjoyments, then you have the wrong God. And I would add this. You are harming your children as well. That is all spawned 
because we're trying to get our needs met via our kids. And I wish you would believe me when I say that will backfire. Because God refuses to play second fiddle to anything, including our kids. I could say so much more, but I'll, I'll stop right there. Let me give you another example. This is another one that is very um, applicable here at Gracie Van. Prosperity. For so many of us here, that's the cistern that we dug. Um, we dug it thinking that we could get all of our needs met out of that cistern. And now we've discovered, just like the text says, it holds no water. Um, no matter how many rantings and ravings that Dr. Young may, may um, commit, uh, nobody, we have not yet been convinced that that cistern is not the place to get our needs met. You know, <clears throat> prosperity has a way of, of making us think that we're far better than we really are. And that creates a whole set of problems. And the more you get, the more options you have, and I can use those options to neglect my soul. And then I discover that none of those options are feeding the needs of my soul. You know, <clears throat> I've said this too, but for many of us, Fortune Magazine and Money Magazine ought to be treated like porn. How much is enough, ladies and gentlemen? Do you remember, you remember the, the parable that Jesus tells in, um, oh, I think it's Luke 12. <clears throat> um, it's about the man who had a good year and he's uh, looking at all his crops and he's saying, oh, my barns are not big enough. I'm going to have to tear those barns down so I've got to build some more so I've got to have all my crops. And, and um, it, in the middle of that parable, God steps forward and says, you fool. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, have, have you discovered that that cistern holds no water? Do, do you know what Paul calls covetousness in Colossians 3? Um, you know, the desire to have more. You know what he calls it? He calls it idolatry. It's idolatry. Because we have forsaken God and we put this God in his place. And it holds no water. Number three, hobbies. Now, wait a minute, Dr. Young. I mean, it seems to me that hobbies are a good thing. Hobbies are good. Well, yes, they are. Until they supplant your pursuit of holy living. Guys, um, tennis, cycling, hunting, golf. They all demand, they all ask of me that I pursue them on Sundays. Which means that for some of us, the only hour per week that I am with God's people, in God's word, hearing God's truth, that is eliminated. And then the next Sunday I got sick or one of the kids got sick. And then the next Sunday uh, we had a vacation plan. And the next Sunday I was going to do something else. And then all of a sudden there's two months where there's not been one piece of treatment of my soul. And I wake up one morning and I say, 
where did intimacy with my wife go? And I can tell you where it went. It went the same place where your intimacy with God went. Um, this may be corny, real corny, but I'm corny. And um, um, this is about as high tech as I get. Um, <clears throat> but imagine, imagine, imagine a triangle. A triangle. And at the top of the triangle, write God. And at the bottom of the triangle, write husband and wife. Now let me show you something because this is brilliant. Brilliant. The closer I as a husband gets to God and my wife gets to God, watch this. The closer we get to each other. But ladies and gentlemen, guess what? The opposite is also true. The further I get from God, the further I get from my wife. You want to know where your intimacy with your wife went? It went the same place where your intimacy with God went. And when your intimacy with God left because you were playing too much tennis and riding your bicycle too much, you wake up and you think, What happened to my, to my marriage? It's because you neglected your soul. <clears throat> Here's my fourth example. Appearance. You know, this is kind of interesting because evolutionary biology, which I don't agree with for one second, but evolutionary, uh, Christian thinking and evolutionary biology is on the same page when it comes to this. It, that, that's pretty interesting to me that, that evolutionary biology and Christianity agree over this point, and it is this <clears throat> that the reason that we so fear aging is that it reminds us that we're dying. So when beauty goes, oh, because beauty reminds us of youth, and when beauty fades, we're left to stare at our mortality, and that frightens us. <clears throat> and one way we live in denial of that is that we work on our appearance. <clears throat> I heard about a magazine article that was interviewing a model. She was a 26-year-old woman. And she wore a size three dress Eat your heart out, girls. Um, and she's being interviewed, and she was kind of, oh, superficial and giddy. And uh, um, she said, oh, I'm having to prepare for my 30s because I know that I'll probably have to wear a size 6 or a size 8. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Honey, I don't care whether you wear a six or an eight or a three or a 16. 
None of it. None of it is going to slake the thirst of your heart. Gang, health and fitness both are wonderful things. Um, but they are never to be maintained at the expense of my soul. That marathon on Sunday, I would suggest, is not about health. It's about my whole sense of worth and where it comes from. And according to evolutionary biology, it's about my fear of dying. You know, guys, we even vote based on appearance. Not, not based on issues or character. And because nobody can define right or wrong anymore, the only thing we're left with is appearance. Now, guys, first of all, anybody who belongs to Jesus Christ need not fear death. But your cisterns cannot take the place of the fountain. All of our devices, all of our solutions, all of our strategies, they're cracked and they're leaking. Aren't they? Maybe that's why Jesus called himself living water. Maybe that's why Jesus said, that's what I offer you. It's not, it's the water that, that grants life. My brother and sister, are you, are you ready to finally admit that the cisterns that you dug, that they hold no water? Are you there yet? The most highly favored of people, Christians, we are guilty of the most vile, most vile of crimes. We've substituted the creature for the creator. We forsook God. My people forsook God. And then we went out and pursued all of our devices. And then we wonder, why is my marriage so bad? <clears throat> Guys, um, if you're ready, that can be changed. Let me, let, let me tell you how. If any of this has brought any sense of conviction and you're ready to move away from some of those things, um, that, then one of the things that you're going to have a whole lot more of is time. And some of that time needs to be devoted to a pursuit of God. Let me describe what that's going to look like. Guys, Christianity is basically a relationship to a person whose name happens to be Jesus Christ. And so with these newfound convictions and some spare time on my hands, I can now um, move away from those cisterns that hold no water and I can be pursuing a real life of holiness as defined by the scriptures. Guys, fortunately, my, my priorities are now a bit rearranged. I have some spare time, and I'm going to use it, shall we say, to, to rethink how life functions or is to function. 
Gang, let us help you. Nothing I would love better than an hour with you in my office or over a cup of coffee teaching you how to study this book. This book that tells us who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, what his father's like, what he loves and what he hates. And we can discover together the instructions that he has given us about life, including how my marriage is supposed to operate. I dare you. I dare you to call me. Call anybody on this staff. Any man or any woman on this staff would love to get that phone call. Just to spend an hour trying to help you learn how you can pursue God through his word. Now, real quickly. But what if I'm not a Christian? What if I'm... I'm not yet redeemed. <clears throat> what, um, where, where do I start? <clears throat> Guys, um, if you're here as a, as a non-Christian, we're so glad to have you. But let me tell you where, um, where you must start. It starts like this. You come to Christ by faith. Oh, yeah, Dr. Young, I knew you were going to say that. I mean, you say that about everything. You're right. I do. Because I believe that. I believe that apart from Jesus Christ, you are not only doomed eternally, but in addition to that, this life won't work either. Um, any real remedy must start with Christ because the problem is sin and the only remedy for sin is the friend of sinners. You, you may not agree with that. I, I, I understand and I respect that. But with all due respect, what remedies do you propose I'll say this also. He designed you. He has given parameters as to how life is to work. He's given parameters as to how marriage is to work. You can ignore all of those and go dig you some more cisterns. And I'm here to tell you, none of them hold water. It's like taking this wristwatch and using it as a hammer. You're going to destroy it because it's not designed to nail nails. And you are misusing your life. You are using it in a way that it was never designed to be used. <clears throat> and that is always going to end up a disaster. My dear friend, if you believe any of that, then you will beat a path to Jesus Christ. If you do not believe any of that,
you will continue to live a life that is self-designed and ultimately life will disintegrate. You know, there's a statement that Paul makes, one of my favorite in Colossians 1. He says that it is Christ that holds all things together. He's kind of a glue. Without him, things fly apart. It's kind of a a spiritual second law of thermodynamics. Things disintegrate. It's called entropy. It affects our souls. It affects our eternity. It affects our lives. It affects our marriages. Because in Christ, and only in Christ, all things, Hold together. You think about that. Our Father, I do pray that you will, um, that you'll use some of this to um, restore health. That you'll use some of this to uh, stir us up to a new, a new, dis- a new determination to make our, our primary, our number one priority, a pursuit of the holy, a pursuit of the living God, a life of holiness, one where sin is avoided and obedience is performed. Father, for, for the marriage in here that is um, ill, would you, would you give them a bit of hope um, as they consider some of the things that were said this morning. And Lord, for those you brought here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you convince them that the only glue that exists in the universe that will hold a life together or a marriage is Christ Jesus the Lord. We pray, of course, in his name.